welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. And today's Zine Thursday, but we're not doing a Zine today. We've got someone that I'm excited to talk to again on the, the I guess, creator of Swords and Wizardry. And from Mythmere Games, we have Matt Finch. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. It's going good. I'm excited to have you back on. You, I think we were saying before, I have uh, I have uh, like three games that I've bought up a ton of core books for, player's guides and whatnot, because I've been in this for over three decades now, and I know how games can start changing and vanishing and everything else. And one of those three, one of those two of those games that I've bought a lot of are ones that you've made, Swords of Wizardry and Osric. And I'm curious about the future specifically of swords and wizardry and what's going to be happening. Sure. And it's, you know, I think probably everybody's looking at their uh, favorite games that they've got right now and wondering exactly what's going to happen. You know, if there's any sort of uh, open game license connection, probably everybody listening already knows the background on what's going on. The wizards of the coast is trying to uh, revoke the OGL 1.0 open gaming license 1.0. That was something that they came out with around the year 2000 and an awful lot of games and, uh, and resources for games have branched out from there. And from my perspective, the, uh, the big issue is the retro clone type of game. That's actually trying to emulate the non-copyrightable rules of an underlying game that was published a long time ago with Osric. It was uh, first edition advanced D and D and with swords and wizardry, it's sort of a snapshot of original D&D, the version that the very first version of the game as it existed around 1978 uh, with all of the stuff added to it. So both of those are going to be, you know, heavily impacted by what shakes out with Wizards of the Coast. And we're recording this on on Monday, the 23rd of January. And so uh, it may be that some more news comes out from Wizards of the Coast between uh, the time that we're recording it and the time that this actually airs. But uh, right at the moment, we're, we've, we've had uh, Wizards of the Coast put out a survey and look for some answers. And I went and answered the survey. Um, I was kind of inclined to just blow it off entirely, you know, because I'm already fairly done with the uh uh the way that they're behaving over there but uh, i figured okay it's worth one iteration of giving them comments on it and so i went in there and said you know don't revoke the ogl 1.0 we're since we're going to talk about the future of swords and wizardry we'll probably put the legal jargon aside and just talk about what effect it has on the game the plan right now is that we're going to uh strip out any of the content in Swords and Wizardry that came from the SRD. So that is going to, but, and then we're going to publish a non OGL version of it uh, with some sort of license that uh, allows publishers to use the material in Swords and Wizardry. And then a secondary objective for that license is for publishers to use things that other publishers have released for other publishers to use for Swords and Wizardry. Uh, and we're going to do that in a two-step process because it's a lot easier to do the legal work to say, okay, publishers, you can use the stuff that I wrote. And then you add a whole new layer of complexity when you have you know, you have to name the content and so on and so forth that publishers can use, let them, you know, keep what they're putting into the commons and keep, but, you know, keep their trademarks and so on and so forth. So there's some complicated, you know, legal drafting that goes into that. And that is something that Paizo is working on with this Orc license. A lot of people, when they heard Paizo's announcement, they were like, oh, Paizo is doing a game. Not as I understand it. I mean, Paizo may be working on a game, but, you know, their objective is to produce a license that people can use, which is a completely 
uh, it, it's not unconnected, but it's a, it's a different project from writing a game. And so they're working on a license. And so I'm going to wait and see uh, what they come out with. My initial thoughts were to just basically clone the open game license, but fix the problems that are there with it, because that's something that people are familiar with how it works. But I figure, you know, it, it's not going to hurt anyone to wait a couple of months and see uh, what develops from that orc license, whether they're able to put something together that's a little bit better tailored for what the needs of the community look like. But there is probably a need to get out there some ability for publishers to use Swords and Wizardry directly, if not peer-to-peer, because there are a lot of people who've published things for Swords and Wizardry, and they also want to respond to what's going on with the OGL. And they're a little bit frozen until the Swords and Wizardry intellectual property gets uh, gets opened up. So we are going to try and do that fairly quickly. Uh, my guess is we probably won't come out with something before the Kickstarter. It'll probably be simultaneously with the Kickstarter that we put that license out there. You're saying Kickstarter. That's the first time you brought this up here. I'm assuming that is a Kickstarter for this new edition of Swords and Wizardry. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're and we're looking at, prob- at uh, you know, hopefully March. The, the process you know, right at the moment, I'm I'm going through the draft of the uh, rules to just finalize my initial belief that it was possible to strip out all the SRD material, and it's going to leave some irritating gaps. Uh, you know, right at the moment, I'm thinking we're going to have to take out the OTUG. We're going to have to, you know, redo the descriptions of the demons. Uh, you know, the the purple worm is at the very least going to have to get renamed. So there, you know, there are some casualties, uh, you know, in, in terms of it really being the the OD&D experience. But they're relatively minor, you know, especially somebody who's been playing the Swords and Wizardry version of OD&D uh, already. I don't think that it's going to be particularly destructive overall. So, but the the process being, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a final draft of the of the text and then we've got to get you know various graphics and things to put together a kickstarter page and describe the economics of the thing we'll submit that to kickstarter sometimes those get automatically approved sometimes they don't when they don't it may be about seven days but (laughs) once once it's approved that doesn't mean we launch the kickstarter what we do at that point is then we're able to put out a pre-launch page for people to sign up and then you go back in and you know you put in whatever additional information you've gotten about the economics, you know, with your printer quotes, you may change around the pledge levels. You add more art, things like that. We're, we're getting, uh, Errol Otis is going to do uh, the cover of it. And we had actually talked to Errol about doing that back in like February of last year for, mm-hmm. for the, for the, what was going to be an OGL version of this yes. from Mythmere games. Um, and he wasn't available until December, and so he, I think, started working on it. Uh, it was either late in December or early in January. So we'll probably have that by the end of January to put on the Kickstarter graphics. And that will probably be the uh, the thing that gets us to actually put the page up and start that approval process and, and move it forward. So we're looking at probably a March Kickstarter. That's probably more information than, than really <laughs> you need unless somebody's you know interested in how Kickstarters you know, function on I- the back end. I think we do have a, quite a few listeners who are interested in that kind of thing, to be honest. We have a lot of people who are trying to create their own stuff and putting their own stuff out there who do listen. Yeah. I, I I do want to bring up something, the Errol Otis cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the there is an edition of Swords and Wizardry Complete that Errol Otis did a cover of, and it's, it's probably the one I have the most copies of. And it mm-hmm. is, 
a cool cover there. I'm really excited to see what the new one looks like. And the, the theme of it is the battle at the bridge, um, which is going to be removed enough from Gandalf and a Balrog facing each other over a bridge that, that it, it will only bear a, you know, it, it'll be obvious the theme and the reference to people who look at it. I've I've only seen a rough from Errol uh, where he was sort of showing the composition, but I think it, it was very, very evocative. So I think we're looking at something that's going to be just as good or better than the uh, than the original blue cover. Now, I was I had a question I was wanting to ask, but I'm not sure it can be answered because of all of the kerfuffle that's going on. Right sure. Now. Uh, and, I, and my big thing was because I know, like I said a minute ago, we have a lot of people who are putting their own stuff out there and things like that. Like license wise everything seems to be up in the air but my originally i was going to ask what would someone have to do if they wanted to make a swords and wizardry like zine or adventure and publish it like license wise but i don't know if we can answer that today <laughs> well i think we can take a good guess i mean my the, most likely we're not going forward under the ogl because the only way that i think wizards could possibly keep games like swords and wizardry and osric in the mix is is really to keep the ogl and they've got reasons not to do that um they're saying that it's because of a because they want to be able to put in a morality clause and that is a cloak uh what they're really trying to do is to keep themselves from getting piezoed when they come out with their next edition they're trying to avoid having somebody come out with basically fifth edition using the uh ogl yeah and that is something that you cannot prevent without revoking the OGL. So they must revoke the OGL for corporate and money purposes. And they're basically just throwing chaff by saying that this is about a morality clause. And I'm sure they do want to put in a morality clause. And there's a whole discussion to be had about whether morality clauses are good or bad or, or productive or non-productive. But what they're doing uh, especially when you look at the actual wording of their morality clause, is that it's clearly designed for dual purpose of, you know, whatever they want to do with the morality clause, but really um, it also gives them the ability to take out any large competitor by just looking through things that they've done. And there's, there are multiple ways to do it under the morality clause uh, and, and basically deny that person the license. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's aimed at Paizo or the Paizo equivalent. Um, when this comes out and they they basically have to do it if they want to prevent that from happening and i i think that what people are saying now from what i hear is that a lot of this is there's a push for uh, uh online stuff and a lot of the companies that are in certain spaces on the virtual tabletop is kind of a large target of their yeah there's another dimension to it I, I mentioned the thing about paizo but the other thing that they're trying to do is basically create a they're, they're trying to create a uh, walls around people playing D, D online to prevent somebody else from either competing with them in that space by by just providing you know a virtual tabletop well that's the main thing is to is to, they're trying to block off that that competition um and so there are a couple of companies that are affected by that there's uh gripner which is uh stephen radley mcfarland's company that he works with and then also uh foundry you know but basically they want to grab the virtual tabletop Thing, and then they want to be able to and once you uh, once you have a virtual tabletop you can monetize it with microtransactions you know where of whatever kind they might be and i think that's what they are trying to do is to you know there's there's certainly a potential revenue stream that you know if 
everyone plays on one VTT, then whatever that VTT is, is doing to monetize it, you know, whether it's badges or, you know, items or whatever it is, that you could capture a fairly significant revenue stream. And so that I think is what Wizards is also trying to lock up. So, that, you know, that's on a looking forward basis of what they want to do with it. And then not getting Paizo is a looking backward basis. It's all, it's all interconnected i mean it's the overall strategy is probably unraveling a little bit because of the amount of the pushback that they're now probably coming back to uh you know lawyers and brand managers and social media people and saying hey we need to walk this back a little bit and then all of a sudden all of your carefully made strategy suddenly starts to come apart as those people may not have time to talk to each other mm -hmm. you know or enough time to talk to each other you don't have enough time to you know put together a new what's a whole brand new overall strategy for how we can move forward they don't have the time to do that so um you know that's going to make things a little bit more chaotic over there i would imagine i don't really have too much trouble with the idea of their, you know, creating a VTT, but trying to box out competition um, from other VTTs is not something that I would be fond of seeing, you know, and yeah. certainly, and I also think that if you, if they ever do have a controlling VTT, you're going to start seeing some abusive microtransactions going on, you know, with oh, yeah. that. So, I, and I think that's like, uh, it, from what I've seen, they're trying to turn it into Fortnite pretty much like, mm -hmm. or what, what are they, is it, what's that one? My, my daughter plays one called, uh, Blockus or Minecraft? I'm not sure. I can't. I get them confused. And and it's every they want. Oh, I want. I want. They want little cars. They spend their money on little, uh, like gift cards at the family dollar, mm -hmm. or microtransactions online. I'm like you wasted your money, kid. But that's their game. You know, who am I to talk? All the books I got. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, and and microtransactions, you know, range from stuff that's you know harmless. You know, like you know, here's a picture of your character or something like that that's like a badge to something that's, that's more you know harmful quote unquote uh you know like being able to pull your access to books away if you you know decide not to renew a subscription or something like that so and we don't know where they're going to go with that i don't think anyone's got a real picture of it and uh, you know it's just that's that's a, a a looming danger to that but since i'm a lot more focused on um you know the osr and the table on the real tabletop side of it you know my concerns yeah. are a lot more with what they're doing with the ogl and I'm, I'm i'm gonna put something out there for our listeners who may not be aware but you have really been involved with the OGL for probably over 20 years now. You, I'm going to say that of the people out there that know something about it, you have a, I'd say that you probably got a pretty good understanding of it. You've done a few things in the space around the OGL that were detrimental in the, what they call the OSR even existing, I would say. Uh, and you do have a history working as an, an education as a lawyer, but uh, as I understand, you haven't been practicing for a while, correct? No, no, I haven't paid dues to the state of Texas in you know decades now. So I'm on I'm on their suspended list until mm -hmm. I paid some until I pay some dues. But you do that, and uh, you you end up having to take continuing legal education, and so and I just and I don't want clients. So you know, being a practicing lawyer is not not super attractive. I'd be curious if you could speak to some of your history working with the open game license, because that was Osric and uh, Swords and Wizardry were kind of early on clones that some of the first out there that were created, correct? Uh, yeah, well, certainly Osric was one of the first ones that was created. Swords and Wizardry didn't come out until about, I think it was 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it came after, you know, you've, you've had Osric and basic fantasy role-playing game came out first. And then out of the large ones that survived, I think that Labyrinth Lord was probably next, although there were probably worse, smaller ones 
the, the you know that that came out scattered in there. Uh, Labyrinth Lord I think came out in 2007, and then Swords and Wizardry came out in 2008. So we're talking about you know for the most part the older ones plus Castles and Crusades, which came out even before Osric and and was less of a clone. You know, I I call I usually call Castles and Crusades a simulacrum because it does use yeah. more more it uses more modern game mechanics a, a lot of the time, but it's to emulate the same type of game very closely. It's just not trying to really emulate the rules. Um, so you know, and Castles and Crusades is caught up in this as well because they're they also published under the OGL, and so uh, Troll Lord Games is going back, and I believe they're trying to strip out the uh, the SRD material from Castles and Crusades the same way that we are with Swords and Wizardry. So it's uh, it's a lot of games because you know Castles and Crusades was much more mainstream. I think than the retro clones. At least certainly at the beginning, it was more more mainstream. Yeah, it it, it definitely it take uh, I, I, my Saturday night game right now is a, is a Castles and Crusades game, and, and okay. it takes a very a very modern approach. And I think that newer players do like that, but it takes some older elements. Now, uh, your your publishing of Osric originally was kind of your first. Uh, look into the OGL. Do you have any insights from doing that? Because how did that how did that educate you or inform you on going forward here and whatnot? Well, I mean, that was when I picked up most of the knowledge of uh, you know copyright law uh, because before I, what I actually did as a lawyer was mergers and acquisitions law. So that did involve contracts, but it didn't really involve you know copyrights or intellectual property except very tangentially. I wasn't working with tech companies. I would have known more about it if we'd been buying and selling tech companies. But, yeah. um, you know, so really it was just that was that was when the, the knowledge was accumulated. And I did a lot of reading. You know, most most people, I think even a lot of publishers have not really sat down with the OGL and really and truly read through the document to understand it directly. I think most people work from a secondary description of this is what you need to do. You know, these are your steps, so on and so forth. So, you know, that that was that. But really, it was then coming to contact with the project of looking at an old published set of rules and trying to figure out the difference between which part of this is non-copyright protected rules and which part of it is creative expression of those rules, mm-hmm. which is an angels dancing on the head of a pin kind of question a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, it so, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I don't know if I could read through a document like that and figure that out completely. <laughs> well, hopefully I did okay. <laughs> but, and so, you know, doing that again with, with Swords and Wizardry, because there's a bunch of stuff in there that um, I didn't have to ask whether something was copyright protected back at the time when we were doing it under the OGL because it had, you know, a a word or phrase or whatever it might be, you know, happened to be right there in the SRD for use. And so that's why, you know, you've got the OTUG in Swords and Wizardry, but that comes in from the SRD. You can't actually look back to a first edition advanced D&D monster manual and say, ah, here's an OTUG, I can use it. That's not the way that it works. So. Anyway, that's so that's what we're working on. So I think that uh, you know we do sort of not really be not trying to be cagey about the information reveal about the plans, but they're still getting put together, and then we'll probably do sort of a whole okay. Here's the overall plan. You know, when we get to you know Kickstarter time or shortly before, you know, I want to get the rules put into order, just as as a you know clearing the decks kind of thing before talking to fans about let's put together some open content of some kind, you know, f- for the game 
you know, how how should we do that? And there you run into the question of now may be the time to try and get that common content coming from more than one OSR game. And that's the way that the OSR really started out back in the days of forums. And then it splintered in social media when everybody had their own platform you know once g plus you know went away uh you tended to see a lot of splintering of the communication modes and you know maybe it's a time if somebody can figure out how to do it in these days of social media you know how to get people back together uh into one place where they can talk about um you know this is usable for castles and crusades but usable for swords and wizardry usable for you know labyrinth lord 2.0 usable for all of the different you know we all know that, mo- that that all of the OSR games, whether or not you include Castles and Crusades in that, you know, the o- yes. OSR or OSR adjacent games are highly, but not completely compatible with each other. And we used that as a real strength in the early days of the OSR. And then it wasn't really that people got uh, separated from each other. It was the social media separated us because the channels began to divide out to where you know there was there weren't so many common places and people don't enjoy forum software for the most part and so they didn't stick with the forums and blah 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 so we'll see whether we can get back to to that kind of thing you know there's there's you know there's the other problem of there's such a political divide at the moment that it's even a question of whether people are able to play in the same sandbox with each other. If you're talking about, you know, people who are, you know, anywhere toward the extremes, you know, on the, on the political spectrum, um, which I think is, you know, is not something that is gamers alone. I think that's, you know, that's just a, a way that society has moved at the, at the moment. So. Yeah, there's definitely society in general. There is a a, a big conflict going on right now. <laughs> right. That is a thing. And that's going to seep its way into every element of society, essentially. Yeah. So I, I have a, another question about this, specifically about the the changes that are going on. Um, mm-hmm. Are any of those changes if at all possibly going to impact it mechanically uh compatible like backwards compatibility or anything like that or is it cosmetic can you speak to some of that well as far as i can tell i think it will be completely backward compatible because the you know the numbers are what i consider one of the things that tips you off to the fact that this is a rule that is not copyrightable is when you start to see numbers you know numbers don't tend to be creative expressions they tend to be here's how you use this stuff in a system and the system's not copyrightable so um for example you know i think the experience point numbers will remain the same you know it'll still be hit dice the hit dice are going to be you know i'm at the moment i really have not gone into any of the monster stat blocks to make any substantial changes to the way things work. So I think there, there are going to be several little places where, you know, when you dream, when you're dreaming or thinking and you step off a curb and suddenly you, you know, you, you're like jerk yourself awake because you just stepped off a curb in your dream. There, there'll probably mm-hmm. be a, there'll probably be a couple of those, you know, when you're, when you're playing and, you know, one of them is actually one of them probably predates the OGL thing, which was just when I took another really hard look at the way that the um, experience for monsters went, I decided that I wanted to make it a little bit more exponentially upward for the, the I, I felt like the more dangerous monsters, the higher level monsters weren't generating enough experience points for them 
original original D&D, it was flat you got you know yeah. 100 experience points per hit die of the monster and then they <laughs> they immediately realized you know in the Greyhawk supplement no this needs to move up exponentially and so I, I i did make a little bit more of an exponential tail than was there before and honestly in terms of whether uh, in terms of backward compatibility that may actually be the the largest or at least most annoying change that's in there is is having to look up you know for a, a more difficult monster what the new experience point value is for that i don't think that the ogl stuff the ogl stuff is specifically to strip out creative expression that was copied under the srd but that can't actually be copied if you're not using the srd the, meaning the ogl so really what you're looking for a lot more there is flavor type text uh monster names uh things things like that are having to get yeah changed um so the the types of changes you see in this particular legal kerfuffle are not something that will necessarily get in the way of backward compatibility now that's that's good to hear i'm excited to hear that i'm hoping that i'm hoping to see some really good stuff come out of this in the future i know it's everybody's scrambling and panic but i think that there's a lot of cool things that some great creative people are going to put out there and they might look different than they did before, but that's not necessarily bad. I'd like to see a lot of these games that I love, like Swords and Wizardry or Castles and Crusades, kind of take their own take on things. And that'll be cool to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think you're going to see a lot more. Well, I, I don't know. It's hard to read tea leaves. I, I, I do think I do think that we're in for a surge of what a lot of people call fantasy heartbreakers which are you know very small games mm -hmm. you know some of which may be very very good but that that simply don't have enough people latch on to them to to build a community of people who actually play and therefore it's heartbreaking for the author some people use that as an insult of you know a game of a game not being good because it's not different or creative enough but um i think you've also got the issue of there's there's probably going to be a, a lot of supply of games coming in 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 the gaming you know quote unquote market here and a lot of those are probably going to fall by the wayside but there'll mm -hmm. probably also be a lot of very creative stuff i think that comes out of this yeah and that's kind of the key for one of these games thriving is having a community that's active around it that's actively paying playing and paying to get the books and stuff like that and cranking out content around the game itself yeah well see the thing is that there's always been the ability for somebody you know to publish something that could be used for you know multiple different osr type games by using the ogl and therefore they could grab a larger audience you know e and and even if it was written for their own personal game that happened not to be too different from an older version of dnd that would still be compatible enough for that person to sell enough copies to pay you know an artist a layout person mm -hmm. um and and do all of that stuff and so and that's really where i think we're going to see you know a little bit of shake up in the coming days you know we'll see we'll, we'll we'll find out what all happens my my biggest focus is the survival of the uh of the work that's been done on keeping the older games alive yeah and i i've got one last question because we're coming up on time okay. we were talk i wanted we want to focus on the future of swords and wizardry we know that there's an upcoming kickstarter coming out for a new edition that, that we've been talking about without the ogl stripped down what other things might be in the future for Swords and Wizardry and Myth Mirror games? Well, some of it's the the boring stuff that you also do alongside a game. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we're looking at a monster book um, mm -hmm. just because you we don't have 
no game contains enough monsters, especially if it's a single volume book. Oh, yeah. Um, for use and so we're looking at a monster book um, we're probably looking at uh, an introductory adventure from there I, I think that's when the creativity can start coming in with uh, some sort of campaign setting that's maybe developed through an initial mini campaign you know possibly even getting down as granular to something that's the, the sort of scope of keep on the borderlands if, if we do an oh, introductory nice. adventure that follows that model um, that's one direction that that could go. We'll, uh, you know, so those right at the moment, I'm just, I'm so focused on getting, you know, putting together the infrastructure for the game to move past this problem with the OGL. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, that requires, you know, a couple of Kickstarters and a bunch of writing just, just to get back to square one. Yeah. But then once we're, once we're back at square one, what I hope to see is a, a reinvigorated gamer community um, of people who are writing their own stuff and making it available, you know, for for their OSR game or for other OSR games, um, you know, we may very well see, um, you know, a, a surge in what the OSR is producing, you know, over the mm -hmm. over the next yeah. year to two years. We've seen that happen before. And I'll, I'll say on top of that too, if you if you get into Swords and Wizardry, if you haven't played, you pick it up. There's so much content out there currently for it from so many folks. And wonderful stuff to play for Swords and Wizardry that already exists out there. I don't know how long we're going to be able to have access to all of it. And no, I don't think anybody can answer that just yet. Hopefully it doesn't all vanish. Well, I don't think, I, I think right now it looks like it's not going to vanish. I think anything that has been published in the past, um, probably Wizards has realized that they it's that's a nuclear button if they actually mm -hmm. start telling people throw away you know start shredding the books in your warehouse then, then you know that's going to get real serious real fast um so the stuff that's been published already is probably is probably going to be able to stay around um for an indefinite period of time but what can but the problem is if somebody just discovers swords and wizardry or castles and crusades or whatever the game might be uh three months from now they probably will not be able to publish for that game unless the game moves off the OGL. Yeah. There ha there has to be a license for them to be able to do that. So in order to survive, we've got to move the games off of the OGL and into a new license space. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been great to get a chance to talk before we sign out. Could you tell the listeners where they can find you online and uh well you've got some other stuff out there as well like you have the uh the 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 tome of adventure design and whatnot available because you let the listeners know about a little bit of that real quick yeah we do we uh so the the website is uh mythmeregames.com m-y-t-h-m-e-r-e-g-a-m-e-s.com um and so that's our that's our main website and then you can also find uh our our stuff on uh, drive through rpg um, just by searching for Mythmere Games. And those are really the, the only two channels that we've got right now. So, uh, and we're going to be probably, at least in the U.S., selling physical copies of Tome of Adventure Design uh, very soon. You know, fingers crossed. It depends on mm -hmm. getting uh, software integrated with the warehouse for them to be able to pick up stuff that's ordered in the store. But at least in the U.S., we're hoping to be able to start selling physical copies of the Tome again. Uh, we've been waiting until we've had the, the backers all fulfilled on the Kickstarter, but we have books. We just need to get them sold. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at LogarHaleCrom. We're on Patreon. We could really use support. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.